Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome once again, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Matt Blood, I am John Manuel. Thank you so much for the download. Thanks for joining us a little bit late here on a Friday afternoon. There's just too much going on. It's a Memorial Day weekend. I know you're getting out of town. Hopefully you got this downloaded to your iPod for the nice drive. Enjoy the $4 gas. We'll hopefully take away a little bit of the sting here with the Baseball America podcast. So Matt and I have been uh, burning up the phone lines, the email, the IM, draft, 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 and more draft. Matt, part of that was a fun trip up to Bristol this week to talk about the draft show with ESPN. Looking forward to working with those guys again. Uh, it's just a big shot. I know, I know. It was a, it was a big shot weekend. Uh, nothing, nothing says big shot. Like going into the uh, Hartford Bradley International Airport and uh, buying uh, ginger ale for your nauseous boss, uh, Lee Folger. There's nothing more big shot than uh, opening and buying and opening a bottle of ginger ale for your boss. Let me just tell you that right now. So it's uh, it's it's fun. It's a great time of year, but it's busy. But uh, we love the attention uh, this time of year. It's like everybody becomes a Baseball America reader. So. Matt, this time last year you were just a reader. Uh, we met, uh, I think, I guess we had met actually physically at Zestos, correct? Don, That's the first time we met in person? That's right, but this time last year I was actually uh, in St. Petersburg working with the Rays. Okay, okay. But, uh, yes, we did meet uh, Zestos in the College World Series about a month later. <laughs> Which is awesome. Zestos, uh, we don't know what's going to happen to Zestos when they when they move uh, the College World Series, but uh, obviously they won't be moving it. Too far, but they'll be moving it far from Zestos. So I think I saw you at Zestos every time I was there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how that goes. <laughs> that's uh, that's accurate. Uh, that's almost exactly accurate. So um, let's talk draft. Let's talk about the 2008 draft. Matt, uh, you, you like obviously you worked for the Rays in their scouting department last year as an intern. Uh, I was talking to some, I was on a radio show the other day. And here's my take on the draft class. 2005, historic draft. 2006, supposed to be a down year, but really a historic draft in terms of pitching. The top of the draft, pitching-wise, was insane. And seven of the top 11 picks from that draft are already in the major leagues, and six of those are pitchers. That's from, right. From the likes of Max Scherzer, Tim Lincecum, uh, Andrew Miller, who pitched very well the other day, um, uh, Ian Kennedy... Tomorrow. Ian Kennedy and Jabba Chamberlain were not even in that top 11, and they've already gotten to the big leagues. Brandon Moore is another guy. Uh, it's a, it was a crazy good pitching draft class in 2006, and I think that year we kind of panned that draft class because there wasn't depth and there, wasn't, uh, there were really very, very few hitters. But Greg Reynolds is in the big leagues. Luke Hochater is in the big leagues. Uh, Clayton Kershaw at seven, getting ready to go to the big leagues, by the way. Um, so you're talking about some significant talent just from two years ago, going to the major leagues already. 07 draft, hard to gauge that class. But only one year out. I think going into last year's draft, it was a tough one to gauge 
because so much of the hitting talent was on the high school side. Right. With a little more hit or miss. How would you characterize this draft in relation to or in comparison to those three recent draft classes? Uh, this year's draft is is different in the, the fact that there's really not the, the, the top guy at the very top. You know, there's there's three guys that are that are all considered at number one, but none of them are considered uh, overwhelming number one guys who just just knock your socks off. They uh, and and then and then like we've we've read over and over, they have all these first basemen in this year's draft, which is which is very rare compared to all the other drafts. And the pitching the pitching is also behind um, that that two thousand five draft two thousand six draft, like you just said. That's the there's a college starting pitching. This right. year is so down. far back. I, I hear that from, from scouts all the time. And you know what? They're actually relieved a little bit uh, because they're like, oh, good thing we don't have to go watch all these Friday night starters with the with the three less weeks that we have now. With Great the late point. Start, starting day. They're like, good thing there aren't all these, these Friday starters because we wouldn't get, be able to get in and see them all. That's a great point. I hadn't even thought about that. And the thing is, you know, you look at last year, and I'm, I'm through pick 20, and I see three college starting pitchers in the first 20 from last year, Price, Detweiler, Savory. The big thing that last year had a lot of left-handed pitchers. We also had Nick Schmidt, who's already had Tommy John surgery, uh, Aaron Pareda, James Simmons, who's now banged up, Andrew Brackman, another college right-handed pitcher. But you had a run on college pitchers like in the second round, the Wes Romers and the Barry Enrights and those kind of guys. Like, Did you leave out the, the, uh, the Pirates pick? Uh, yeah, I guess I did. Uh, Daniel Moscow, you're not only considered him a, a starter. He was sort of was. I know he sort of is now, but he's a completely different pitcher when he's a starter than when he is a reliever. Exactly, he's a first round guy in my as mind a as, a, as a reliever, but not as a starter. Right. As a starter, he should have been a two to four type guy. Right. You know, a little bit of an overdraft uh, for being left handed, and I, he's a safe pick because I think he will be an effective big league reliever. I think he'll be a very good big league reliever, as a matter of fact. Um, but th- so this year, really, in terms of college right-handers, actually, is not that different from last year. You know, the first college right-handed pitcher last year was James Simmons. The second college right-handed pitcher drafted last year was Clayton Mortensen, wow. Cardinals 36, who I liked. I liked a lot coming out of the draft last year because he was a college senior, was uh, still a little projection left, and uh, now stuff. I like I like Clayton Mortensen. He's already been accelerated double A. I'm looking for another college right-handed starting pitcher, and uh, that's it for the first 50 picks. Wow. Uh, that is amazing. And this year, uh, you're going to have more than that. And that's the first complicating factor of this year's draft class is Tanner Shepers. What happens to Tanner Shepers last week? Uh, this, as we report on the blog, a stress fracture in the shoulder. Um, it, it's really, It's been really, really, really strange. Uh, people, don't, people don't even really know what a stretch fracture is in your shoulder and how you get it from being a pitcher. And that's the problem, is it's the unknown. And right now, if I were Legacy Sports, which uh, to the best of our knowledge is advising Tanner Shepers, I would be getting I would be getting his medical out to as many clubs as I could to, to, give, to keep him in the first round. Because right now, Matt, like you said, right now the thing that's going on out there is the unknown. Right, and teams and the, are not willing. Teams are not willing to take a chance on this guy. They feel not that, the unknown. They feel that because it's unknown, it's a little bit sketchy, and they're afraid that you know it could be it could be something in the labor. I'm not saying that it is, but I mean. They, if they're not given the information, then the information must not be good. I'm telling you, I'm re-looking at last year's draft again. Tommy Hunter, 54, college right-hander, but maybe a reliever. Will Klein. Will Klein might have been your fourth 
We Kyle was wrong in a picture. I know he did. He and his great changeup. Jordan Zimmerman at five nationals, and I think going into the year, we actually thought Jordan Zimmerman out of Wisconsin, uh, I guess it's Whitewater, Division three. we thought he could have been the top college right-hander on the board last year, and then he had a rough spring. But Duke Welker, uh, David Kopp, like I said, Barry Enright before, uh, not a good class last year. I honestly think this year's college right-hander class well, better than that. Oh, yes. And that's yeah, and the thing is, it's perceived to be down, but now that's why I actually looked it up. Well, maybe of course, it would have been better to do six. that before the show. Pardon? Maybe it's just down from 06. I think that's the thing. I think that what we're realizing is just how exceptional 06 right. was. I agree. But 07, so the emphasis, the one thing you do have in this draft we talked about, you got college relievers, you got first baseman who can hit, but you have some up-the-middle hitters. And that's all. But we're going to go over a quick mock top 10 here, Matt. And I think one thing for us is that I think the top ten talents are kind of clear, even with, especially without Shepers. I think the top ten talents are pretty clear. Who's the guy in the top ten for you who has the most upside? Is it Pedro Alvarez? Is it one of the catchers, Kyle Skipworth or Buster Posey? Is it one of the shortstops from Georgia, the Beckhams, uh, Tim and unrelated Gordon? As, as far as far as highest upside goes, a may I have the high, as high a probability, but I think Kyle Skipworth, behind the plate, if he can stay behind the plate and use that strong arm that he has to throw runners out and then hit like people say he can hit. Like nobody's Kyle, business. Yes. I mean, he, I think he went 16 for 16 at one point this 18 year. 18 for 18. 18 for 18, which talking to some scouts out there uh, is, is just phenomenal, especially with the, the, uh, the talent that he's playing against. And uh, I, I think behind the plate, like I said, he can hit for power and average. He's left-handed swinging, big guy. I mean, I, I think he might have the highest upside, uh, along with Tim Beckham uh, playing up the middle as well at shortstop. And I've really heard that he's been playing uh, exceptional lately, uh, finally finally coming on and, and really putting his full game together, hitting for power, making great, great plays in the field. Uh, I, I think those two guys probably have the highest upside. With uh, with Pedro Alvarez, uh, you know, pretty close behind because you know he's going to hit for for amazing power, but he's not going to be as he's not going to have the impact defensively that these two guys could have. Right, and he's not probably not going to hit for the average uh, that these two guys are going to hit for as well. There's a small chance in my head that the, the most the, the comp I can think that fits best for Pedro Alvarez. I think he has a small chance to be a left-handed Albert Pujols. That's who he looks like physically. Right. I don't think the swing is quite as pure as Pujols. I, I think Pujols hits for a better average than, oh, absolutely. than what Alvarez will. I think, I think there's a chance, there's a smaller chance, that, that Pedro Alvarez becomes kind of a left-handed hitting like Scott Rowland. But instead of gold glove defense, it's like average defense. But a guy who's like a 280, 290 hitter, oh, like 30, 35 home runs every year. I think that's what Pedro Alvarez is going to settle into. Um, that's that's what Scott Rowland was, was at his peak. I mean, he normally had that line drive swing. People get all over him for hitting right. doubles off the wall. But right. I, but I, he's I, a 6'4", 240 beast right. physically. Right, so. yes, yes. Uh, and Pedro, Pedro is going to be the same. He could be the same size. Right. And I'm not sure he's, he's as fluid an athlete as Roland. Was yeah, a, I mean, Roland is unbelievable at their base. Yeah. Um, at his peak, obviously right, he was. Right, right. And and. and Roland's swing, like I said, is it is more of a line drive swing, whereas Alvarez, he's got leverage, and he looks to hit the ball a long way. Yeah. Well, the thing with me and Kyle Skipworth, I agree with you. I think upside, that's why I asked it, and I didn't. I don't think I, we talked about no, it before. No, we have not talked about that yet. I think Kyle Skipworth does have the highest upside in this draft, 
But the reason he's not the one-one talent is boy, the track record of high school catchers, right? And just just how different it is to handle high school pitching and showcase pitching, and then to have to receive velocity and movement and, and late guy, life. This guy hasn't been catching all that long. Yeah, it's and hard. He's tall, and he's 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 not the prototypical uh, guy back there. I mean, he has a great arm, but he's he's what is he? Do we have six three one ninety five? And, and people I'm looking say at that it. he could grow to be bigger than that. And that's the issue. And that's, to me, the track record of high school catchers, just how difficult that transition is, just how difficult that position is. That's why he has the highest ceiling, but that's not why. That's why he's not the number one one guy. Well, that's also why I think Buster Posey, because he's athletic, although this guy's also athletic, but Posey's athleticism, new to catching, but good at it, more physically mature, more of a known quantity. That's why Posey will go higher. But I think we both agree we do not see Buster Posey going one one. We both think the Rays are going to take Tim Beckham. We're both hearing that. That's, that we both think that's where they're headed. That's how. That's how we feel. I mean, it, it, that could still change, though. I mean, Posey, Posey is is a is a very good option for them there. Uh, it, obviously, you don't draft just for need, but he is he is in a position of need with them, and he could get to the big leagues pretty quickly. But I I, I think you 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 can't pass up on a guy like Tim Beckham who can can be your, your stalwart at shortstop, um, a, a position that really they haven't been able to figure out since, since, uh, since I think BJ couldn't hack yeah, shortstop. I mean, yeah, exactly. So they, they had Brendan Harris last year. I think they have Jason uh, Barlett this, this year. Who's but, solid. Yeah, they're, they're solid they're guys, but, I mean, you know, you want a guy in there who, 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 who can be there, be your guy for a long time. You're not looking for somebody better. This is a team with championship caliber talent almost everywhere else in the diamond. I don't know that I can really catch on shortstop or where they really don't have championship caliber talent. And they short, have solid average guys. Shortstop is a is a they're they're okay because the guy can get it done. Yeah, behind the plate, I am not. I am. I think is where they are really really weak. And I said, Donnie Navarro is having a better year this year. But I also I don't think either of those guys are your championship profile. It doesn't mean you can't win a championship with them, but I, I think it's actually harder to win when you're bad behind the plate. But if you, you can fudge shortstop, if you got a guy there who just can handle it defensively, he'll probably be okay. Right. Well, behind the plate, it's hard to think of a World Series champion who was really deficient at catcher. You need a cat. You, you got to be solid up the middle, and you need a good catcher in order to be a championship team. And and that, that's the that, that's the thing you always hear. Don't draft for a need, but this could be the one time when you might do it with and I've talked, number one. And I've talked to two scouting directors who both said that, like, with you don't usually draft for need, but for them, they yeah. have so much talent everywhere else, it wouldn't be bad for them to go for Posey. And one of them specifically said, I would never bet against Buster Posey. So that's also a fun thing to say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, it's a Baseball America podcast. I'm John. He's Matt. It is. We're already fi- almost 15 minutes in, Matt. We haven't even run through the top ten. Let's run through the top ten. We think number one is going to be Tim Beckham, uh, even after this, that little peroration we both gave about how good Buster Posey is. So, uh, I think there's just too much upside with, with Tim Beckham. Wouldn't shock me on either way, uh, but uh, it, would, it would shock me if they went in another direction other than those two guys. To me, their third most likely guy is Brian Mattis uh, because he's a left-handed pitcher, but their pitching is such in the minor leagues, I don't know that I would take Mattis 1-1 right. if I were well, those two guys are the one-one candidates, and I don't see them either one of them getting past number three. Much less, I don't see either. Uh, if if Beckham does not get chosen by the Rays, 
I think there's a good chance that he goes he goes to the Pirates. So I, I think it's about they, a 50-50 chance there. I mean, Alvarez, Alvarez is, is, is very similar to their situation they had last year um, with, with Weeders. You know, right. They pass up on Weeders, and people say, hey, there's no way they could pass up on Alvarez. But if Tim Beckham is available, that's a guy who could should maybe go ahead of him. The Pirates could certainly sell to people, look, Tim Beckham is every bit the talent, if not more of a talent, than Pedro Alvarez. He's a safer bet because he's the middle of the diamond player. And guess what? We don't have to give him a major league contract or $6 million right exactly, now. Exactly, exactly. So you can make the case all over the place with the Pirates taking a Tim Beckham. But we're going we're gonna to go with Tim. We're going to go with Tim Beckham first. We're going which... Beckham to the Rays, but I don't think he falls past two. I agree with you. No. And if he were somehow there at three for the Royals, He's they'd gone. have to snack him, yeah. uh, snap him up. So these or first three picks, <laughs> snack on him. Uh, these first three picks, we have Tim Beckham, uh, Pedro Alvarez, and Posey, and I don't see... I don't. See, it could be a combination of those three, one, two, three. But I, we think it's going to go Beckham. I'll say this: all three clubs playing it pretty close to the vest. Really, don't blame them. Uh, the Royals. There have been some ties to them in the last couple of years. They've taken Boris clients the last two years and Mustakas and Hochaver. They've, they have not shown. They're not. They don't run scared from clients represented by the Scott Boris Corporation. Which is why I would not count Eric Hosmer. Out of that pick, I, 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 I think. What it's about Pedro Alvarez? I don't think three. they would take Pedro Alvarez at three if he was there. Do you? No, no, and the reason why is because I, I don't think. I, I think po, we're saying Posey's already been gone. I we're think. saying if, no. Uh, well, no, not necessarily. If it's but the first two guys are Posey and Beckham, yes. Okay. If Posey goes one and Beckham goes two, and Alvarez is still on the board at three for the Royals, like I could see them taking Hosmer because with his arm. Right. You could put him in yep. left field or right field. He'd probably have fringe average range, especially early in his career. At best, he'd be below average down the line. But with that arm, you could certainly put him in the outfield. Right. Um, right. Whereas you wouldn't really do that with Pedro Alvarez. Um, so I could see why they would maybe favor Hosmer or Hosmer. I suppose it's Hosmer over Alvarez. But for me, I don't see them going that direction. Right. I see that they really, I think, would like Buster Posey to be there. I suppose there's a chance. That uh, this also would be a team that would take a, uh, one of those two college pitchers, Brian Mattis or Aaron Crow at three. I don't think either of those guys really is a bad pick anywhere in this draft. No, I, either I agree. of those guys are defensible at any spot in this draft in the top ten. Right. Okay. Four, four of the Orioles. We said we were saying Brian Mattis. I guess what we're saying is that if the first three are Beckham, Alvarez, Posey, that Brian Mattis is your best player on the board at four. And Baltimore takes him. This is a, I think that's a, a pick that makes sense for the Baltimore Orioles. And he's not far. He's not far away. I mean, I, and I know they traded away Eric Bedard uh, in, in the offseason, um, and it, it worked out pretty well for them. But and, and Brian Mattis could could be a quick fix for that. I think so. I think Brian Mattis makes a lot of sense for Baltimore in a lot of ways. Five was San Francisco first year uh, scouting director for them, and John Barr, formerly from the Mets organization, uh, to me. Uh, the Giants have got to take a hitter, and I think I think it'll be Skipworth. I think I think early on we heard a lot of Justin Smoke, a lot of Justin Smoke, a lot of Justin Smoke. You know, this team took some was aggressive with young hitters in the draft last year, and they were aggressive internationally two years ago with Angel Villalona. And I think they're going to be aggressive with a premium position player in Kyle Skipworth. And I, I, if you ask me, who would I rather have, Skipworth or Smoke? Rather have Skipworth. I agree. Uh, I think that's the way they're going to go. Said, he's got the highest upside in this draft. Um, Florida at six. Boy, I think Florida Skipworth 
is off the board, they're going to be unhappy about yeah. that in a lot of ways. And that makes and that makes sense. I mean, Posey or Skipworth would be fantastic for that team that has some young hitters, obviously getting it done offensively this year in the big leagues, uh, and could use, especially a Buster Posey, boy, that'd be like manna from heaven for them with their catching position. They could move Posey very aggressively, and maybe they draw more fans than Florida State does, which actually they usually don't. But uh, both those guys are off the board in this mock top ten draft. Who do you think Marlins take at six? Uh, first, I was going to say I, I think Stan Meek, uh, who does a great job with the Marlins, is, is rooting hard for those for those rumors we were hearing about Justin Smoke going to the Giants because they do want Skipworth. But if, uh, if if that can't work, then uh, I, I I see them taking the, the South Florida native uh, Eric Hosmer. If, if he's still available, I, I, don't, I don't see how, how they pass up on the on the bat. And, does American uh, Heritage outdraw them too? <laughs> more they, pa- more they might outwit there. He hit more home runs. I don't know. I actually, no, the Marlins are having a great season this year. They are having a great season, but no one goes. It's yeah, uh, yeah. That, That's the way it is, unfortunately. Uh, you need a stadium. You need a baseball stadium. You do. The Cincinnati Reds at seven. Aaron uh, I, 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 I know the Reds really like Gordon Beckham, but I, I don't think that you can take uh, him ahead of Aaron Crow, especially... Uh, in, in the red situation. So I, I see them going with Aaron Crow. If, if by chance, Crow goes anywhere else, uh, maybe the Marlins, if, if he does go to the Marlins or to the Giants, then I could see Gordon Beckham going to the Reds. But, but I, I really think Aaron Crow is going to slip to them. I could definitely see Gordon Beckham going to those guys because you always draft. You don't have to worry about the fact they have Todd Frazier and Chris Velika and Paul Giannis and other Solid shortstops or middle of the diamond guys. If you could, if you like a middle of the diamond guy, you draft him. And if Gordon Beckham doesn't work out as a shortstop, or if they have other shortstops ahead of him, you move him to second. You move him to third. He's got they, the bat to play. They really, they really like him, and they really like him at shortstop. Oh yeah, and no, I think he's a shortstop, and, and he, and I do too. I, I got to see him three games this year, and I think he's close. I mean, he, he's got extreme explosiveness in his wrists and can can really hit the baseball. Number eight, Chicago White Sox. There are two rumors really being tied to them right now. Brett Wallace, there's at a state, and Christian Friedrich, the left-hander with Eastern Kentucky. Those are the rumors that I've been told. I've had them debunked. Uh, I do think the White Sox also are a little bit different situation than they were two weeks ago with Dave Wilder, the director of player development, now out of the organization due to a, a international, basically a scandal, it sounds like, at their Dominican program. Uh, so we'll have more on Dave Wilder in the upcoming issue of Baseball America. But Wilder was involved in their draft, and now he's not. So there's a little bit different dynamic going on with the White Sox draft. I think at eight right here, if Gordon Beckham is there, Matt, they there, can't possibly pass on him, can no, they? They have to. They have to take him there. After 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 Gordon Beckham, I'm I'm not real sure um, about things. Things get a little bit more murky. I, I think he is by far the best player. The only other option is. Justin Smoke, I think, because he's still available. But I would agree. I just about to say to me the three the best players on the board if Beckham goes at eight, which I think he does. Then your best players on the board are Justin Smoke and Yonder Alonso. You have two premium hitters. I know there's a good class of first baseman, and Brett Wallace is really good, and Ike Davis is good, and David Cooper's good. Uh, but to me, those two guys are in a separate category. They are. They're in tier just one. So much more polished. Yes. And so much more. Now, I think there's very little adjustment period to pro hitting for those two guys. Smoke tore up the Cape two summers ago. Alonzo tore it up last summer. Smoke did struggle with Team USA last summer, but I think he's made those adjustments. Honestly, I think long-term, Smoke is the guy, 
I think Alonzo will be better at the outset. He's only six foot, six foot one. It's a shorter swing. There's less going on. Uh, there's not the switch hit element. He's probably he has faced same side pitchers in his career. Uh, Smoke never has, but Smoke's never really. If you're a college switch hitter, you're never getting pitched inside ever because you're never facing a same side pitcher. Right. Uh, so you're always everything's away, away, away. I think there's a little adjustment period that he's going to have, and I honestly have a little seed of doubt in the back of my head about Justin Smoke after what happened with him last summer. So me personally, I prefer Yonder Alonso. I think the vast consensus of the industry is Justin Smoke. He's the looks better at first base. He's more the prototype guy. He is the switch hitter. I think Smoke at nine, the Nationals will be. Crazy to pass him up. Right, I, I agree. Uh, but then at 10, could the Astros, to wrap up the podcast, could the Astros take Yonder Alonso, or do the Astros have to go in a different direction? I, 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 don't, I just don't see them going with, with Alonso. I, I, I think Alonso will slip just a couple more slots, um, and I, I think that the, the Astros will probably go with a pitcher at that point. Uh, I think so, too. Maybe, 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 maybe Friedrich. I think if Tanner Shepherds were healthy... Uh, or if Brett Hunter were healthy, and Brett Hunter, Pepperdine, the right-hander, just came back, uh, would have been in this mix in that 10 to 20 range, and now could be back in that mix, fortuitously really for him, he comes back as as Tanner Shepard's kind of exit stage right. Um, you get lucky, you really, if you're a scouting director, and you get Brett Hunter to watch again. Uh, but Brett Hunter, if Tanner Shepard's in the best arm in this draft, it's Brett Hunter. Just pure arm. Definitely. If it's not those guys, it's probably Garrett Cole. Or Kashner, Andrew Kashner. Andrew Kashner's in that mix, GCU. and Aaron Hicks is also in that mix, the high school right-hander out of uh, out of SoCal, who, oh, by the way, also is one of the best high school Outfitters. outfielders in this draft. But uh, after that, after that top ten, Matt, if you're a scouting director, which maybe one day, one day you'll be, yeah. who's the guy from this draft class who you have the best feeling on, whether it's somebody you've seen or somebody you've talked to people on? I mean, pick two or three personal cheese balls, guys that you really like. In the, whether it's their story, actually, whether it's the story you like or the player you like. We're in, in, we're talking about later in the draft, or we're yeah, talking, yeah, okay. later in the draft. Because uh, you know, in, in this first round, you can pick Ethan Martin though if you want to. You saw Ethan Martin, great. You I saw did. his coming out party. Well, I did. I saw Ethan Martin at 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 his best, probably, and I saw him at at the game of the year. I think scouting wise, scouts were coming out of that game. It was against American Heritage in, in, in the tournament in Georgia. Lagrange, Georgia. Lagrange, Georgia, and uh, it was against American Heritage. And scouts came out of this game absolutely buzzing because uh, Martin was a major league pitcher that night. He was throwing he was throwing ninety five, ninety six miles an hour. His I think his first pitch of the game was ninety four, and he threw one hundred and thirty pitches. And his last pitch of the game. Uh, was 94 as well. So, that's awesome. I mean, that's, that is awesome. And, and he, in the first inning, he faced uh, Hosmer and Nieto, struck them both out, uh, made made Nieto look silly, and um, froze Hosmer on a, on a backdoor uh, slurred curveball, which which was a plus pitch all night long. So he, he he's one of my favorites just uh, from watching him pitch on the mound, but then also in the field, he, he can play. He can yeah. play defense. He's got raw power. So I, I, th- I think he's... He's a great, great pick, and whoever gets him is probably going to be in the middle of the first round, and they're going to get a good guy out of him. I'm going to, I'm going to interject because my personal favorite is not anyone I've seen, but I think you know Brett Lowry. I was about to say, I didn't want to steal your thunder with, with Brett Lowry. I think so. I'm having a hard time deciding my favorite guy. Is it Brett Lowry or is it Utah right-hander Stephen Fife? Stephen Fife, uh, I, have to, I need to try to find a scout who saw him at the Mountain West tournament the other day. 
Boy, Stephen Fife was not at his best with a lot of scouting heat on. He gave up eight runs, six earned. Got to hear what the stuff was like, but he got instantly jumped on in the first inning by New Mexico, gave up three runs in the first. But here is a guy who does have some track record. He helped, uh, he was the best player in his Little League team, took a Boise-Idaho team to the Little League World Series when he was 12. Was just undersized coming out of high school, but is a late bloomer physically. A guy who's holding his velocity 93 in the eighth inning of a couple starts. Power, curveball, spinning a breaking ball at altitude, always attractive. Third pitch is there, solid average changeup, showing a decent slider as well. Uh, this is a guy, and in this year, in this draft, with the college starting pitching being down, I think Stephen Five, who was like maybe a third to fifth talent, could rise up in the second round. And uh, But Brett Lowry, to me, is my favorite guy to watch in this draft. Best like Canadian hitting prospect it's at least Justin Morneau, if not Larry Walker. And some would argue that the best hitting prospect actually in all that is Adam Lowen, who obviously was drafted as a pitcher as well uh, and not as a hitter. But, but Brett Lowry, uh, fearless, borderline psycho. I've heard so many descriptions of this guy. I've heard compared, he, works, he works so hard and he's got great makeup. Compared to Dan Ugla, compared to Craig Biggio, I mean, I can't get better than Beasley. No, those are those are uh, Craig Beasley comparison is a pretty doggone good comparison. Dan Ugla is a pretty good comparison the way Dan Ugla is playing right now. Owen, oh, by the way, he might be able to play catcher. It sounds like most people think he can. So I'm all about Brett Lowry. I think he could go anywhere from 14 to the Twins to 17 to Toronto to the back half of the first round. I think he does have helium. I think we underranked him. Thanks mostly to me in our top 200. I think he needed to be higher than 37. But he's there now. We got him. Now, is Brad Holt one of your favorite guys, or no? I, I saw I saw Brad Holt. Uh, he's he, I wouldn't say he's one of my favorite guys. I, I, I he's got a very good arm. He holds his velocity. He the but, ball explodes out of his hand. But Scott Biddle is one of your guys. Scott Biddle. Yeah, I was gonna say if, if I had to name three guys who were really interesting to me. I mean, not, we're not, I'm not saying these guys are are gonna go first round. Second right, round. right. Uh, but Scott Biddle is a guy who. Scouting directors and scouting staffs are just confused about some of them. Yeah. Some of them uh, love the way that he misses bats. I mean, he misses bats in the SEC two two times an inning. He strikes yeah. out a guy, and uh, he, he's but he's, he's working off of a, a mid eighties cut fastball. He, he just locates perfectly at the knees, and it just dives just at the last second. And the hitters either swing and miss, or it's a strike right on the corner. Uh, he does have a, a, a low nineties fastball that he shows only. Three or four times an inning, and uh, he, he throws this, this split finger looking change up as well, which is uh, which is nasty. Yeah, he's got. I mean, he's no one has performed in college baseball quite like him. Really. I mean, it's the only thing about impressive. him is he just doesn't profile as as, right. a, as a closer. And it, it, to go to go in the first round or even in the supplemental, you probably need to be a starter or you need to be a closer. And uh, some teams, that's why he's going to drop to the third round. But for there might be a team. That really likes his performance, likes his command, and likes how many bats he misses, and might might snatch him up in the supplemental to uh, early second round. This is a relief pitcher who leads leads <laughs> the SEC in strikeouts by a wide margin. That's and what I was looking at. He's up. a relief pitcher. Yeah. yeah, I mean Mike Miner at Vanderbilt is second at ninety one, but he's got one hundred and nine strikeouts. Actually, I guess Brian Morgado has one hundred and four at Tennessee, uh, which is also impressive uh, for Brian Morgado to do that, uh, redshirt freshman, but. Boy, Scott Biddle, for a relief pitcher to lead that conference in strikeouts, tells you it's just swing and miss stuff. It's special stuff. Uh, when I saw him, he went three innings, and he was strong the entire time. I mean, so that shows right there he can be a guy. 
that that can that can be your middle relief guy guy in your bullpen, which is which is very valuable for for a lot of reasons. And can move quickly. Uh, that, that, there's no doubt that he should yes. move. He should be on an accelerated timetable. Who's your third guy before we get out of here? Uh, well, there there are two guys. Uh, there's a sleeper for me, Charlie Blackman at, at Georgia Tech. He's right. a very athletic, left-handed hitting guy who, who was a pitcher. They, he went into to a, a summer league in Texas, and uh, he hit some there, and he hit really, really well. The, the summer league coach calls up uh, Danny Hall uh, at Georgia Tech and says, hey, you might want to let Charlie Blackman uh, swing it a little bit. And uh, this year, this year he is... He's been outstanding. He, he, I like he, stories he, like that. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and you know, he, he hasn't hit a whole lot of home runs this year, but uh, he the home runs that the home runs that I saw out of him and his bat speed, he's got power. I mean, he, he's just learning how to hit. I mean, his, his instincts might might be behind, but he's got tools. He's got all the tools. He can run. He can throw. He can play defense. He can play center field. Uh, he, he can hit for average, and he, and I think he will hit for power. So yeah, go ahead. And then on the other end, there's a, there's a guy that we talk about all the time, Blake Tacody down yeah, in Miami. Yeah, we do. <laughs> uh, actually, Aaron Fit and I have have a little a little bet going on who, where he's going to land uh, over under third round, and it's not looking good for me because I took the over. Don't. And so I don't know I don't know if I should be mentioning him right now, but uh, no, nah, he he he's a, a scrappy guy who I've, I've seen him a couple times this year at playing before Miami, and he's going to hit. I know he's going to hit. He did. This guy can really hit the baseball. He may not have much power, mm-hmm. but he can really run. Well, he manipulates the bat. He, he does. He well, he, he's in a very good position to hit. His hands stay back the entire time until the ball comes in there, and then he's able to make his decision later and able to spray the ball where he needs to spray it. That's pretty huge. And it's a pretty huge part of, of it, hitting. He's not going to hit. He's not going to hit for a whole lot of power. And he hits for a little bit of power with the with the aluminum. I don't think he's going to hit for a whole lot of power. But he can he can run. He can play center field. Uh, he he's a guy that he's another one of these mixed guys where some teams are are gonna think he does a profile because right. because you know he doesn't hit for enough power he he doesn't throw all that well right right but some teams are gonna really like how he hits and say you know what this guy is gonna be a big leaguer you know we're gonna take him so the guy I really want to see is this uh, the kid in New Mexico Scott Gracie who is a right hand pitcher and shortstop and really he's the team's everyday shortstop but he's pitched about six seven innings this year. And those short looks, and also in a short look as a pitcher, I believe it was in the Mink League last summer. This guy's 90-93, touch of four with a plus cutter. And uh, this is a guy who, uh, the comparison that gets thrown around really easily on this guy is Jeremy Accardo. And Jeremy Accardo, one of the stories that we love at Baseball America, we ranked him high in the Alaska League uh, that summer where he'd been a, mostly a shortstop of Southern Indiana, Southern Illinois. And then he closed for his team. He had 12 college saves, went to the Alaska League, was an all-star on that in that league as a shortstop, but he did pitch a little bit up there. Signed as a pitcher as a non-drafted free agent by the Giants. We instantly ranked him in the Giants' top 30 that year, basically off 20 career innings of pitching because uh, we heard how good the scouting reports were. And, and now this is a guy who's a big league, an effective big league reliever. Uh, I love the Jeremy Accardo story, so I like the Scott Gracie comps to Jeremy Accardo. And when it comes to pitching, I'm a guy who. Show me fastball and fastball command. I want to see either velocity, movement, one of those two, and plus command. And I want to see athleticism. And it sounds like he has those things. So uh, Scott Gracie, very intriguing to me. Don't know where he gets drafted, 7 to 12, somewhere in that range. Uh, I think a lot of people are on him, but a very hard guy to scout. Impossible really to cross-check. You have to have a cross-checker really sitting on that team. But uh, he's interesting. He's very intriguing. 
I think you one added, if I'm not mistaken, one added uh, part to, of the mix that's confusing is I think he's a draft eligible sophomore. But Scott Grace, he could not even get drafted. But suffice it to say, one day he's going to be a pro pitcher, and we're going to see if he's Jeremy Accardo or not. So great podcast, Matt. Uh, took a little long. I know you got to get out of here, but thanks for taking the time. Much more coverage coming next week at Baseball America and BaseballAmerica.com. So check it, check it, check it out. Until next week, uh, we'll, we'll try to squeeze in some of your podcast questions at podcast at baseballamerica.com. Until next week, so long, everybody. <laughs>